Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn. Well, it has taken us long enough to get here in our investigation, friends. This is the true crime story I've been wanting to tell y'all since we started this journey sometime a few weeks ago. We have finally made it to the autumn of 1934 and the custody trial of the 10-year-old Gloria Vanderbilt about to begin. Who is battling? The child's mother, Gloria Morgan Vanderbilt, supported by her sister, Telma, leaving her lover, the Prince of Wales, future Edward VIII in England, but not to worry, her little man is in good hands with her good and trusted friend, Wallace Simpson. Battling on the other side, Aunt Gertrude Whitney, now 59, a widow with honestly better things to do than this custody nonsense, but it is the family name after all, and with Gertrude's mother Alice having passed away, Gertrude is going to assume the title of matriarch to protect this poor child from her unfit mother because that's what grandma and the nanny and the staff and the bankers also tell me to do. And here we arrive in 1934 for our true crime of the year. It is the hottest thing in the press. The custody trial of the poor little rich girl, 10-year-old Gloria Vanderbilt, caught in the middle between a lot of factions and laying much of the groundwork for her adult life. Let's investigate. A few things about this episode, y'all. First, a correction. In yesterday's episode, I said Louis Mountbatten is the brother of Princess Margarita, who married the German prince that thwarted Mama Gloria. I apologize. Prince Philip, the husband of Queen Elizabeth II, is who I should have said, not Louis Mountbatten. The Mountbattens are a big family, easy to get confused. I got going too fast and slipped up. Philip and Margarita brother and sister. They are the children of Prince Andrew and Princess Alice of Greece. Louis Mountbatten is the uncle of Prince Philip, a brother of Princess Alice. I did not mean to confuse you. It is not typically the way I do business. Again, my apologies. So today, we are getting into the custody trial. The coverage of our episode today is going to go from about 1934 to 1942, the year in which Gertrude passes away. And Gloria, at that point being 17, will begin to take off on her own journey. But where we begin, though, 1934, just want to tell you is fairly grim in America. I want to make sure that you understand how big of a headline news story this was. Gloria Vanderbilt's son, Anderson Cooper, will call his mother's custody trial the O.J. Simpson trial of its day. Literally, this is headline news everywhere. There's no television, there's no radio, there's no internet. Newspapers are the main source of information, and this custody trial is headline news every single day, leading up to the case, all the way through the case, and its aftermath, too. And when we talk about things in the United States being fairly grim, let's go ahead and set the stage here. The United States has been in an economic depression for about five years now. The national unemployment rate is 21%. 
the annual income of a family is less than $1,800 per year. One-third of New York City is living in tenement housing in 1934. A hundred people in the year 1934 will die of hunger just in New York City. I think it's fair to say the robber barons, the Gilded Age, and the gimme, gimme, gimme culture of the 1920s have most assuredly left their mark. Ten-year-old Gloria is not alone in her battle, though, with being separated from her parents. Back in 1932, 20,000 children in New York State had been placed somewhere else besides with their parents because those parents were unable to provide for those children. On the flip side of that, 10 of the largest and most ostentatious mansions on Fifth Avenue belong to the Vanderbilt family. I want to set the stage here that this story and this whole court case is very much a story of extremes and the public cannot get enough. It's a bad time in the country and here is a woman who is called the richest woman in America, Gloria Gertrude Vanderbilt, which maybe she is. She's got the $30 million that Harry Payne left her and still with her Vanderbilt money and property too. Sure, Gertrude's doing fine financially, but at that kind of level of financial freedom, those kind of luxuries and lack of worry against what most common folks are trying to do just their best day-to-day to survive, there's a hard time comprehending the amount of wealth, power, privilege, and justice, so to speak, that's going to go into this case. On the other side of the courtroom, right, there's our beautiful young 29-year-old widow Gloria, whose antics and allegations about all those antics are mostly hidden in the press up to this point. The story the press is putting together, at least, is that here is this mother fighting valiantly for her child against the great and moneyed Vanderbilt family. Truthfully, the public does begin on the side of Mama Gloria. They're like, how dare you, mean and wealthy Vanderbilt family, take away this sweet child from her widowed mother. That's the beginning of the spin. It will not stay that way. Dominic Dunn writing from Gloria's Euphoria in Vanity Fair, April 1985. Gloria Vanderbilt will quote her grandmother is telling her, you must show your Aunt Gertrude how much you love her. You must hug her more and kiss her a lot. She described arriving at the courthouse at the age of 10 in the back seat of her aunt's gray Rolls-Royce limousine as hundreds of spectators peered in the windows and jostled the car and then her passage up the steps as the photographers took her picture and a crowd surged around her. Was there any thrill to that? Dominic asks Gloria. What a question. Are you mad? It was terrifying. They were screaming. You treat your ma good, little Gloria. Stick to your ma. You must be nice to your ma. No one is nice to ma, truly. But this trial and all the headlines and all the publicity... This is 1934 clickbait, investigators. People cannot get enough. And honestly, this is horrifying to Gertrude Whitney. She just wants to wear pants, explore some sexual freedom, and make some art. And now she is all slung up in this trial for the family name. Even before we get to the trial, accusations are flying. Mama Gloria will claim that 
Little Gloria was kidnapped from her, spirited away in the middle of the park while she was feeding the birds, and now Little Gloria is being held captive by her Vanderbilt relatives. Good Lord. Grandma Morgan will file an affidavit before the trial starts saying that her daughter paid no attention to Little Gloria. She devoted herself exclusively to her own pleasures. She took long trips to Germany and other places. She seldom wrote to me or even inquired about the baby. Grandma Morgan will go on saying that Mama Gloria has taught now the child how to mix cocktails and again supporting the family's position that little Gloria should be with the Vanderbilts as Mama Gloria is an unfit mother. Mama Gloria has no idea how badly and terribly this trial is about to go for her. It is a great time to take a break to hear a word from our sponsors. When we come back, the trial begins. The matter of Vanderbilt does begin October the 1st, 1934. The trial will go on for about seven weeks. It is covered every inch of it by the press tip to toe with a hundred newspaper reporters and photographers capturing the daily arrivals, the departures, and all the courtroom drama in between. Well, until they don't, because the judge is going to shut the courtroom down within the proceedings. Holy cats, let's get into it. Mama Gloria is answering counter charges against her. These charges include maternal neglect, greed, and immorality, which includes all sorts of nefarious deeds like drinking cocktails until the wee hours of the morning, looking at pornography with the German prince, and, oh, scandal above all else, wearing silk pajamas. I mean, this is at least what we know about when the trial opens anyway. Now, remember her German prince boyfriend, who's now been married for four years, is coming over to the United States to clear his name. All of the newspapers are watching his progress on the boat on the trip over. Naturally, when he arrives, his testimony is, of course, that Gloria is the perfect mother. Her whole entire life is centered around her child. Y'all, people feel all kinds of ways about the matter of Vanderbilt. Judge John F. Carew does preside over the trial, and again, some people are rooting for Mama Gloria, saying she has been railroaded by her dead husband's family. But honestly, it's her mother, Grandma Morgan, that's done most of the string pulling here. What happens in the trial? Witnesses naturally brought in. Two of the most salacious that we're going to talk about here. First up, the nurse. The lawyers do have a lot of questions for the nurse. Nurse comes in and says that Mama Gloria is a lazy, loose, erotic woman who was indifferent to rats and vermin that swarmed in her house, and she was cruel to her child. This day in court is not really great for Mama Gloria. Julia McCarthy of the Daily News will write about this particular day's testimony. For five hours, Mrs. Gloria Morgan Vanderbilt listened to a tight-lipped nurse denounce her with virtual relish as a cocktail-crazed dancing mother, a devotee of sex erotica, and the mistress of a German prince. It was a blistering tale. No skin lotion could soothe. Good Lord, right? That was fairly terrible, but wait. 
We haven't even heard about the French maid yet because Mama Gloria's French maid is brought to the trial. And she is asked, have you ever seen any improper conduct? And the maid says, yes, I remember one thing. It seems to me very funny. And we'll go on to explain. This is quoted. Mrs. Vanderbilt was in bed reading a paper, and there was Lady Milford Haven beside the bed with her arm around Mrs. Vanderbilt's neck, Lady Milford's arm around Mrs. Vanderbilt's neck, and kissing her just like a lover. Dead silence strikes the courtroom. Everyone erupts. Did we just hear what we heard? Wait, Gloria Morgan is having a lesbian relationship with the Marchioness of Milford Haven? This is the wife of Prince George of Battenberg? This is scandal, this revelation of lesbian love. Courtroom goes wild. Judge at this point throws everyone out. All the public, all the reporters, everybody. And now the entire courtroom proceedings will be closed, except to the actual parties involved. This is no longer a public hearing. These two are not the only witnesses, though. Mama Gloria's lawyers will show up with all these sweet letters from young Gloria. But Gertrude's lawyers have now had the opportunity to coach young Gloria. Judge Carew, when questioning little Gloria, 10 years old, will say she hated and feared her mother. This is entirely the story she tells the judge. Gertrude's attorney, Frank Crocker, has coached Gloria for months in many private sessions on what and how to tell the things to the judge. Outright lies about being physically hurt by the German prince. And little Gloria has rehearsed these lines over and over. She says she was terrified to forget them. In private, to the judge, Gloria will say that she was scared. She was terrified of her mother. But the only reason Gloria is saying these things is to stay with her beloved Dodo. It is straight up the reason she is lying. Gloria knows nothing more stable than Dodo. She is the thing that anchors Gloria in the world. So, as a child being told, if you lie, you get to keep Dodo... She's going to say whatever you want her to say. This is done writing again from Gloria's Euphoria. On one occasion during the trial, when the judge allowed her mother to visit her at her aunt's house in Old Westbury, she locked herself in a room and hid the key in the bottom of a powder box so as not to have to see her. She believed mistakenly that if she were put in the custody of her Aunt Gertrude, she would have Dodo with her forever and Dodo was the only person in the world with whom she did not feel she was an imposter. The attorneys for Mama Gloria will try to make Aunt Gertrude look like the bad one, naturally. They say Gertrude has a thing for raising children that are not hers. Good Lord. Honestly, Gertrude is taking care of eight of her grandchildren that are living with her at some point. Rich people do it different, y'all. Oh, then Mama Gloria's attorneys come and ask about all that nude pornography. And Gertrude, aren't you an artist? Don't you have nude art in your house as well? It gets pretty salacious, y'all. It is in November of 1934, after seven weeks of testimony, some in public, most in private, Judge Carew does rule in favor of Gertrude Whitney. The matter of Vanderbilt is decided. 
declaring Gloria Vanderbilt a ward of the state, assigning Gertrude as her legal guardianship, and Mama Gloria being ruled unfit. This decision will give custody of 10-year-old Gloria to Gertrude. It gives Mama Gloria weekend visitation rights. Just want to set the framework for y'all that it is highly doubtful the same decision would be made today. This is very much a punitive decision for the sins of Gloria Morgan, whatever those sins may be. This decision at least in my opinion, definitely reflects the decade of the time of the 1930s and kind of a moral dictation on what women should or shouldn't be allowed to do. This is done writing again. The irony of the case is that in awarding the custody of little Gloria to her aunt instead of her mother, the judge imposed as a condition of the verdict, this is terrible, that the nanny be discharged. Poor little Gloria. Dodo will leave Gertrude's home on Christmas Eve of 1934. Dunn continues, Gloria was not allowed to maintain any contact with her. To further the isolation caused by the verdict, Vanderbilt writes, her favorite Whitney cousin, Gerda Henry, who also lived on the estate in Old Westbury, was told by her father that she could no longer play with or be friends with Gloria because Gloria was a bad influence who would grow up to be exactly like her mother. It's so sad, y'all. Gloria Vanderbilt, as an adult, will write and say that this was the most terrible thing that had ever happened to her, losing Dodo, and now Gloria sort of becomes a true Vanderbilt kid. She's living in this gilded cage. Sure, her safety and comfort are provided for with Gertrude, but there isn't a lot left over for love and affection. Gloria will go spend summers with her mother, but the relationship they have after the trial is very fragile and very strange. This is done continuing. Expressions of love were equally difficult between her and her mother in the years following the trial. In her book, she writes about a July visit to her mother in Los Angeles during her early teenage years. At one point, they are in the backseat of a limousine driving up the coast of California to spend a weekend at San Simeon, the castle of William Randolph Hearst and Marion Davies. Long before we reached Santa Barbara, Vanderbilt writes, my mother ran out of conversation, and when she ran out of conversation, I ran out of conversation too. Looking out the windows to the East River, Vanderbilt explained that they went through their lives without ever once discussing the trial together, although it was the thing that had changed them all. Then she corrected herself. Telma did say one thing to me, actually, now that I come to think of it. She said, probably Mrs. Whitney believed all those things Mama said about your mother. Continuing from Gloria's Euphoria, there is one Vanderbilt a half a century later that does observe about the proceedings. They'll say, all those people took this child and made mashed potatoes out of her. And when it was all over, everyone was back on square one. Her mother was allowed to see her on weekends and for one month during the summer, but the meetings were strained. 
Most of their time was spent going to movies. The rest of the time, Vanderbilt lived in Old Westbury at her aunt's house. But once the trial was over, contact with Gertrude Whitney was minimal. Gloria remembers, there was the time we looked at a magazine together. Oh, I think she loved me, but I think the tragedy of her was that she couldn't express her love. One more thing here, again done writing. As she stood looking down on Gracie Square, a thought occurred to her. Something Wansey, her mother's maid for 40 years, once said to her about the trial. It was all a terrible misunderstanding. Can you imagine? Oh my, all right. So from the decision of the custody trial in 1934, Gloria will be with her aunt, visitations with her mother, private school, gilded cage, and all that stuff. Let's go ahead and move our time clock up to 1942. Two of our three remaining Vanderbilt siblings will pass away in 1942. The first passing, Cornelius Vanderbilt III, Neely. The last brother left standing will pass away in early March of 1942, followed in April the next month by his sister, Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney. Gertrude is 67 when she passes away, after a long life and many, many legacies. Gertrude is interred next to her husband, Harry Payne Whitney, at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, and Gertrude's daughters and their daughters will take an active role in running the Whitney Museum of American Art that Gertrude founds not all that long ago. We've got a bit more Later on in the week about that with a surprise twist ending coming about Aunt Gertrude as well. The last Vanderbilt child left standing, now baby Gladys, who isn't a baby anymore naturally. She's a grown woman, still with her Hungarian count husband and five kids. This is the last Vanderbilt from the Cornelius II family. And Alice Claypool, her mama, when she passed back in 1934, Alice's will gives the Breakers the family home in Newport to Gladys. Gladys has always loved the home more than any of the other kids, and Gladys will live there until her death in 1965, although the Newport Preservation Society will become involved with the Breakers in buying the home, some of the furniture as well. The Breakers is designated as a National Historic Landmark, We are going to come back to Newport, Rhode Island so, so soon, investigators. I promise we're going to be getting down and dirty in Newport. I don't want to do too much more on that, but stay tuned for that one. In 1942, with the passing of Gertrude in April, Gloria Vanderbilt has just made it to her 17th birthday. The niece and child in question is less of a child now on her way to make it in the world. Once Gertrude passes away, little Gloria, now 17, drops out of school, heads to California to be with her mother, surprisingly enough. Mama Gloria is living with her twin sister, Talma, in Beverly Hills at this point. And this is going to be an exciting time period for Gloria. I mean, her whole life is kind of pretty exciting. She will find the first of her four husbands pretty soon, a whirlwind of lovers, a life filled with art and creation and design and everything, really. What can't Gloria Vanderbilt do? She will have two kids as well. 
She'll have cherished friendships with lifelong besties. There's so much about the growing teenager to becoming an adult Gloria Vanderbilt coming for you in tomorrow's episode. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening today. Until we meet again tomorrow, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.